Okay, this morning we will continue now. And we'll probably continue today and next week in First Peter. And that should wrap it up for us. So we have two lessons left. Today we'll cover verses 1 through 4 in chapter 5. And then next week we should finish it off. Okay, now, um, obviously the theme of suffering has run through this Bible, uh, through this uh, book of the Bible. The fact that you're going to suffer and the recipients have been told things they need to do to prepare for suffering, both individual believers and together as a body, things they need to do to be able to endure this persecution and suffering. And verse 12 of last week, you know, R.C. Sproul has this book called Surprised by Suffering. Well, a good lesson here would be don't be surprised by suffering. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes. So we should not be surprised. These people should not be surprised. And then finally, in the last verse that we read, therefore let those who suffer according to God's will, that's important, we know we're suffering according to God's will, there's nothing strange coming upon us, may they entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Two things. Entrust your soul to a faithful creator. God is faithful. Any problems we have is our own fault. God is faithful. He is the faithful creator, which means he is God Almighty, Almighty over all, El Shaddai. And we are still obligated to do good. Even when things aren't going good, we are obligated to do good. So that brings us up now to chapter 5, and we will be covering the first four verses, and let's have those read. Dana. Therefore I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proven to the examples of the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Okay. The, uh, the recipients, in your notes, are undergoing persecution and suffering. That's obvious from what we've read so far. Now, Peter expects that it's going to get worse, it seems like, from the prior lesson we had. So he now exhorts their leaders to do what will be necessary for the people to hold together. This is what you leaders need to do. So at this time, the people need wise and skilled leadership. Of course, we need that all the time, but especially when the going gets tough. They need wise and skillful leaders to hold them together, give them a better chance. So they need to make sure also that the people not only have wise and skilled leaders, but that they obey them. If you have 
a worthy elder, worthy leaders, then when they tell you something, it should be according to the scriptures and you obey them. You are obligated to obey your elder unless he goes against the scriptures. Just like children are obligated to obey their parents. Just like we're obligated to obey the civil authorities unless it goes against God's word. So, we have an authoritative structure in the church to hold us together. I want to read what J. Adams has to say in his practical commentary of 1 Peter. Um, Trust and obey. J. Adams says this, and I quote, These church leaders would play an important part in holding the flock together when the test came. Their care, or lack of it, um, in many lives would make a difference. An ordered, well-trained, well-organized, well-cared-for body of sheep could withstand much, but it would take leadership that was both competent and faithful to bring this about. Now as then, in the midst of very different sorts of problems, good leadership is every bit as essential to the welfare of God's flock. Not only are they supposed to do these things that Peter has prescribed before, but now he turns his attention to good leadership. The sheep have to have a shepherd. All right, let's turn to the book of Acts. Chapter 18, excuse me, chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. This is where Paul is meeting with the elders at Ephesus before he departs, and he gives them some instructions here so that that flock won't be scattered. They don't want the flock at Ephesus scattered, just like Peter doesn't want this flock scattered. And I think, Bud, I was going to have you read verses 28 through 31. Here is Paul talking to the elders. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. Okay, Paul Paul tells them that people will do everything they can. False teachers, persecutors are going to do everything they can to scatter the flock. This is the flock that Jesus died for. He purchased it with his own blood. And people are going to scatter it to the best of their ability. So he tells the elders there to pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. Because when I leave, there's going to be people to do everything they can to tear up the church of God. Just like these persecutors that Peter is writing to were doing everything they could to scatter God's flock. 
So that's, that's what the elders need to do. Now, here in this country, we, we have, I guess, probably more problems from within, false teachers within that try to scatter the flock. That's why the elders need to know the Bible so that they will know and teach it to the, to the uh, people for the work of ministry so that they will be able to reject these false teachers. This epistle that Peter writes is not so much of a warning against false teachers as about how to stop persecution. Now we have other letters in the New Testament like Ephesians um, warning against false teachers, Colossians. Mainly Colossians, more than Ephesians. All right, so that's what the shepherds are there for, to keep the flock together. All right, now it's Peter that is writing this. And if you turn over to John 21, we will see that he has been appointed to tend the sheep. As an under-shepherd. And as apostle. Alright, so let's have John 21, verses 15 through 17 read. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. <coughs> Jesus said, then feed my sheep. <coughs> so Peter is instructed by the Lord here to feed the sheep to tend the sheep to protect the sheep these are sheep and so he knows firsthand what he as an under shepherd is supposed to do and he is relaying this information to the elders uh, in this church here he's writing to Peter is an apostle Peter is also a fellow elder Peter understands how important it is for the elders to feed the sheep, to tend to the sheep, to take care of the sheep. Okay? Now, in your notes, the prescriptive way of leadership in the Bible is by elders. Presbyteros is the Greek word which transliterated it's Presbyterian so the God appointed method of church government is Presbyterian we have proof of that right here elders Presbyteros alright we see this as far back as Moses you turn back to Exodus chapter 3 way back when the flock was being formed so to speak Exodus 3.16. We read there that 
God tells Moses, go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, I am the God, the Lord God of your fathers, etc. But they had elders then. We have elders now. The elders are still appointed. If you look at 1 Timothy 5.17, Paul instructs Timothy, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. So he assumes elders. Elders are going to be the leaders. Elders are going to be the preachers. Elders are going to be the teachers. And they deserve double honor. And then in um, Titus 1.5, I'm going to have that read in just a minute, but in the first verse of that, Titus 1 5, um, Paul says to Titus, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. To appoint elders in every town. So the obviously. God-appointed method of church government is Presbyterian. All right. Now, these elders, they're important. They're very important. Um, So, they had in your notes necessary qualifications. Let's have first, let's have Titus 1, 5 through 9 read. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you may, might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain. The hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also rebuke those who contradict it. Alright, and there's also similar instructions in First Peter chapter three, verses one through seven. So it's not just anybody that can be a leader in church, in God's church. Not anybody that can be an elder. They have qualifications right here. Now, I've noticed that the Reformed churches do fairly good. But in the non-Reformed churches I've been in, they don't pay any attention to this. Um, You would think their Bible would read, those with a lot of money, who have a lot of influence, who are real popular in the world... These you want to appoint so that this church can be a thriving business. That's what you would think if they ever read their Bibles that that would say. It is a serious work to be an elder. It is a serious work to know who should be leading you. And all of us have voted for elders. And all of us will probably vote for other elders. 
And we need to, it's what you would need to do before you vote for an elder is read, read this passage, pray to God for wisdom, and make sure that the man you are putting in there meets these qualifications. And if they do, and if all the churches would do that, we would not have the problems we have now. An elder needs to know the Bible because he is, at the very end of that, he is to be able to give instruction in sound doctrine. I have known elders that can't give a bit of instruction, not necessarily in Reformed churches, but I have seen elders that they, they don't even know what the first book of the Bible is, stuff like that. So it is an important task when you elect your leaders and deacons too. Deacons have qualifications. And uh, so, and those are found also in First Timothy three. And so, let's look there for just a minute too, because the deacon's a leader also. It begins in verse eight. It says deacons likewise must be dignified, not double tongued nor addicted to much wine, nor greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. They have to know the Bible food. And let them also be tested first. And then, um, if they prove themselves, and let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. So it's a high calling for a deacon too. And the deacon's wives must be dignified. Not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. And a deacon should be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus. So... Anytime a Christian votes for elder, deacon, it's a big responsibility. Because those that are served, or that are serving rather, as they go, so go the church. All right, any kind of questions or comments on those two offices? Well, yeah. Well, having served over 30 years in ministry, now four different churches and states all across the country, I can tell you that these are very challenging issues. And, uh, I mean, on the one hand, you typically have pastors who are well-trained theologically, but in a lot of cases, they don't have a lot of practical understanding about the needs and problems of everyday people. That's not a blanket example, but a lot that's typically what you find in some cases. And on the other side, you have um, elders who may be elected, many of whom, as you pointed out, don't have much theological understanding at all. And uh, uh, that presents challenges all the way around. If you've got somebody in the pulpit who they're always hooked into books and you've got a session made up of people who don't understand much of anything else, and so if they don't have that grounding in theology and biblical teaching, where are they going to get the wisdom they need to serve? Right. Well, they're going to get it from the TV programs and 
you know, if they happen to work for a big company, if they've got some sort of uh, training for uh, officers in the company, they'll bring it in from that. <coughs> Typically, not very biblical. Yeah. Uh, I know one very small denomination, smaller even than ours, where in order to serve as an elder, uh, you have to pretty much get a seminary degree just to serve as an elder. And, and this is people connected to Whitfield Theological Seminary. Yeah. That's a, probably an extreme. <laughs> but, uh, and I think to some extent the Presbyteries bear some responsibility over this. Mm-hmm. And PCA is a little bit different because you've got that so-called grassroots Presbyterianism, but in church like the ARP church in which I was ordained, the Presbyteries exercise a little bit more authority. And the idea is, I'm not saying it's perfect, I, I can assure you it wasn't, but if you're a Presbytery, you want your churches in your Presbytery to be doing well. And if you're not that concerned about who yeah. just got elected elder or deacon over there at that particular church or pastor, then you can have some problems. Yeah. You know, as, as Reformed Presbyterians, you, you not only have Scripture telling you what qualifications are, you have the uh, Westminster Standards, which should mean something. And in different churches, they mean mean some they mean a lot, some they mean virtually nothing, even in Reformed churches. Yeah. Well, I mean the standards are the same for elders as for deacons. Yeah. All yeah. church officers the same. We had, used to have a deacon here that said he could not hold anymore to the Westminster standards. I said, "Well, you, you need you need to go before the session, yeah. the next session meeting. You need to tell them, and uh, if they do their job, you'll be removed." He never did it. <laughs> he, well, he left the church. I mean, he's he's not still here. He left the church. He left Reed River Presbyterian. Okay. I think, Bill, too, the, uh, talking about somebody well-trained, if he's a theologian, as Pastor Charles mentioned, it almost has to be an ordained minister in order to be able to be a, a ruling elder. You also have to be able to, to understand people. And sometimes this is not the case. I can remember some that some elders that we've had that I'm familiar with that just didn't, they didn't, couldn't deal with people. They didn't know they couldn't deal with their problems, and they couldn't. They just wasn't a good person to talk to. And communication is very important when you're dealing with, with congregation with people. You got to know what you're talking about, but you got to understand they might not know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah a lot of these scriptures we just read talk about personalities and mm-hmm. personal qualifications and how you're supposed to interact with the sheep and. If you don't, you know, then you're not qualified. Yeah. Our local seminary here, I believe the way they try to handle that problem that, that you two are talking about is by internships. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you have to learn to deal with people in a, in a good internship. And our local seminary, Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary, they do have a degree program just for elders. Um, I think it's pretty much the same as for pastors, except you don't have to learn the languages. So it's it's fairly similar. Um, I mean, they asked me to go over and take a course or two when I was an elder, 
I got ordained as an elder, which I gladly did. Glad I did. Um, yeah, we do not place enough stress on the fact that these people that get up and teach and preach, they need to know what they're talking about. They're handling God's Word. And false teaching will scatter the sheep. All right, anything else? Good discussion. Okay, here we go. Uh, prayer, Paul considered himself a fellow elder. He didn't consider himself the first pope. He considered himself a fellow elder. See, he also had the qualifications to be an apostle, as we read in the first verse that he was an apostle. So he has a qualification to be an apostle because he saw the resurrected Christ and he saw the transfiguration. So he's well qualified. He knows what he's talking about. Okay. He gives the elders instructions. They are to shepherd their allotment of God's flock as overseers. And... Um, I'm thinking that, that stop here. We'll still probably finish next week, but before we get into some of this, we we won't have time to cover. This this would just be a good stopping place, in other words. All right, anybody have anything else on what we've covered today? Okay. All right. That's good. Bud, will you close us in prayer today? Mm-hmm.